Hey y'all, welcome back to But Not All at Once, the podcast for people who've recently learned in Carline, unfortunately, that they still remember every last word to Puff Daddy slash P. Diddy's I'll Be Missing You. They discovered this fact soon after telling a child they don't recall all of the details that caused World War I. So here we are at a crossroads where we realize we still fully understand and have very strong opinions about the deaths of both Tupac and Biggie, but we can't so much get in to the murder of Franz Ferdinand. Franz? Franz? Is that a band? You know what I mean. Regardless of whether you've understood any of this rambling, I'm glad you're here. I'm your host, Ann Smith, and today we are in for a treat. Melissa Van Zambert is a woman that I could have met hanging out in downtown Greenville. She went to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Her family is from just up the mountain roads from my hometown here in Greenville. And we have a lot in common. Children, jobs, all the things. Probably a laundry pile, although I didn't think to ask her about that. Melissa, however, fell in love while she was in law school and has since leapt the pond a la Meghan Markle to make a new life, a marriage, a family, and raise little half-English, half-American babies abroad. People who have to ask for Cheez-Its and goldfish to be shipped to them from their grandparents, that's just the start of the differences. That include midwives, the pronunciation of zebra and tomato. You know, it's very confusing and there's a whole lot that goes into being British or American that involves more than just where you live. Today we talk about the differences in maternity leave, midwife care, whether you can speak with the cadence of a British person without feeling like Madonna or British Jones, the cultural differences, the welcome approach of smock John Johns, applique shirts, and private school uniforms, whether or not we understand the difference between a solicitor and a barrister and what a powdered wig means to someone who's passed the bar exam in Boston but now lives in London. A career pivot for love? What we do when the man we love makes our paperwork life, visas, passports, citizenship far more complicated, and how we relate our mental health to mashed potatoes ratio and if we can teach our children to love the foods we did too, whether they grow up where we did or not. There's a whole lot to this conversation, and it's interesting, even if I do refer to some of you as suckers. Take a listen, and you'll see why, because you know we both love you. Enjoy. I'm here with Melissa Van Zambert. Melissa is someone, and I was trying to explain to my husband how I knew you. There was a heyday for the whippersnappers, the five people under the age of 30 who listen to this (laughs) podcast about probably 11 or 12 years ago in the worlds of Twitter and blogging where everything just collided. And there was this really thriving group of young women who were kind of like, Hey, we already knew everything. So I wouldn't say we were figuring out the world or our lives or careers because we already knew everything. But of course um, we met virtually speaking on the interwebs through the magic of Twitter before it was a dumpster fire of an angry place. I think you were just in that initial wave of internet friends for me and your life has changed a whole lot in the last dozen years or so. And I thought, you know what, this woman's life, probably if I had shown her a picture of what her day-to-day schedule looks like right now, when she was, you know, a sophomore in college, she would have been either utterly perplexed or have laughed in my face. So why don't we talk about it? Like, let's talk about how life doesn't always look like we expect it to. Sometimes it comes with big challenges and big adventures. And the biggest question we all have for one another, because we only put the highlight reel on Instagram, is how do you do it? So let's dive into that. And before we do, let's let you tell people who you are. So I'm Melissa, obviously. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I live about 45 miles outside of London, and I work in London now for a very large law firm. I'm a lawyer. I moved here, gosh, eight years ago um, in August, so just past eight years ago, because of my husband, who is English. Um, We met when I was in law school, my first year of law school in Boston. And 
I just, I still to this day, even though I've lived here for eight years and I have no, you know, real plans to move back to the United States anytime soon. So I still like, I'm here for the long haul. And yet I find myself every single time I'm going into work and we, I come into Waterloo and I like get out and I get on the tube. I'm just like, how am I in this how country? How is this my life? Yeah. It's like a, it's, and, and when I have my little English children like speaking to me and saying, telling me I pronounced tomatoes wrong. I'm just like, what is this? Like, where, how did I end up here? First of all, children, uh, I don't know how to tell you this. It's a universal story, whether you're of the same nationality as your mom or not, but we are always right. Yeah. Like, I don't care if I did that math wrong or not. Uh, <laughs> it just means your teachers taught it to you incorrectly. So no. just go mm. with tomato and call it a day. They argue with me about this daily. I get, I get corrected, uh, with tomato, they call it tomato. Um, I get told off every time we go to the zoo because I say, look, there are the zebras. And they're like, no, mommy, it's zebra. Ugh. And they call, um, do they call you mummy? Yeah, they have sort of this hybrid way of saying, because I don't refer to myself as mummy because I find that weird and mm. like a bit fake if I were to call myself like mum or mummy. Do you feel very like Madonna-like when she randomly took on that British accent, you know, a <laughs> yeah. decade ago or something? Yeah, I'm like, I, I just can't do it. My Every time I try, my husband's like, you just sound like a really bad British show, uh, Bridget Jones. And I'm like, uh, I'm trying. That's how it but, feels too, bud. Thanks. Yeah, that's story of my life every single day. Um, but so they have this like weird hybrid, like sort of mommy with a mom, but then it, they still raise up in the middle with their, their cadence. So it's it's really cute. Well, let's, so how old are um, our Archer and Blythe now? So Archer will be five tomorrow and Blythe will be four in October. And Archer just started full-time school. He literally just started what they call reception here. Yeah, which is full-time school. This has really thrown me off actually, because I thought it was essentially kindergarten, but actually I think it's technically the years don't line up. They have like an extra year of school here. So like, you know how in the U S it's grade 12, they also have a grade 13, or like oh. a year, a year 13. Um, so I'm still learning all of this and I'm sure people are going to like comment and be like, this is all wrong, but I'm pretty sure we do actually- have a very significant British population. Yeah. So they're going to come in hot and heavy. You're right. They're going to, they're going to criticize uh, my <laughs> explanation of the British school system. Um, but yeah, so I think it's, it, it, it's the equivalent of like pre-K in the U S but it's, it's definite real school here. So oh, they take it quite. So my nephews were in, which this is not the correct terminology, but it's the equivalent of private school in England. Yes. And in addition to the fact that they look stinking adorable, in like ties and blazers and sweaters. And I wanted to hug my sister-in-law for having to locate, maintain the cleanliness of and iron all of the pieces required to get these children to school. I was stunned by the hours of school for a, you know, four and five-year-old and the, the curriculum. So, you know, that probably would open up a different discussion about the public schools in America, we can, we can jump into that a different day, but let's just get into the fact that it's super adorable that they dress four and five-year-old boys as tiny old men. They do. And actually, you know, we almost, we had a really hard time deciding what school to send Archer to. And we looked at this, um, what we would call in America, a private school that you pay for, a pay for school. Um, right. that's, a, that's a good title. <laughs> the, the pay for, the very expensive pay for school down the road. Um, and like, I swear they did this on purpose, but as, so I went and had a meeting with the headmaster first and they take you around, like give you a little tour. And as we're finishing up the tour, these little like six and seven year old boys in their cricket whites. So they have these like, oh. these, these special cricket white uniforms. And so it's like this very Ralph Lauren-esque white jumper with white trousers going out to play cricket. And I swear they did it solely to like hook me in because after I saw that, I was like, well, there's obviously nowhere else we could send Archer because he has to have some cricket whites. Like this is (laughs) non-negotiable. And my husband is like, I I think there's more, more to life than cricket whites. And I was like, that is absolutely not true. But we, in the end, we, he talked me off the ledge and we ended up going to a really great state school, which is, you know, the American public school near our house, at least for the first few years. But yeah, the tennis whites, man, they're not, not the tennis whites, the, uh, the cricket whites. They're so cute. It's, it's pretty precious. And it is almost reminiscent of a time gone by 
you know, of decades ago or some kind of period piece because no 2019 child in America right now is voluntarily (laughs) putting in. I mean, children over here, I had to fight the Under Armour train so hard. I mean, we were in smock John Johns and then kind of applique turkey shirts and a Labrador with a little heart hanging out of his mouth come February. And then all of a sudden everyone's in Under Armour and we we're just not riding the Under Armour train because newsflash, you're, you're not like breaking world records on a team. So mm-hmm. you, you don't need to be all that athletically, you know, dressed. Come, come at me when, you know, you're running outside to set world records. But all of that to say, there is a world of difference between your average playground and even uh, the equivalent of a non-paid-for playground in England. So I'm here for it. You wear your 17-piece suit, sir. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm sure it makes you... I always wore actual clothes on college exam days and grad school exam days because wearing like essentially soft, what I called soft clothes, like your pajamas, your yoga pants... Felt like it just told my brain, you know, it's time to relax and be chill. And I needed to be more engaged and formal and grown up. Wearing real clothes does kind of say, hey, world, I'm here to do some work. Yeah. I, Let's and, get it done. And honestly, I love it because that, and it's so smart and seeing them all like show all these tiny little children show up in these <sighs> uniforms. So just like, it just killed me. But also, um, like Archer said, he, he felt smarter this morning because he was Aww. wearing his smart clothes. Um, so I, I just that. thought, I thought, you know, just sets him up for the right mood. And it's also such a good sort of social leveler because, you know. Yes, we're all wearing the same thing. Everybody's wearing the same thing. doesn't matter what brand it is. It all looks the same. You can get exactly. it at Primark. You can get it at Marks and Spencer. You could get the fancy stuff. Um, but it, inevitably, it just looked when you all have them stood side by side, nobody cares where it came from. Right. Absolutely. You all look the same, which is that allows allows you to focus on your finger painting, for example. Exactly. Yes. Even if your mom has to spend a good bit of time getting said finger paints out of your crisp white button down. <laughs> That's exactly. a different discussion for a different day. So let's back up a little bit. How did you get into this mess? And by this mess, I mean, falling in love with a British man and moving abroad and having little children who correct you before you're even really doing anything wrong yet. Because there will be plenty of years for that. <laughs> of course. Well, and I already get that from Blythe. She is uh, quite the stern person in our household who tells me <laughs> off on a daily basis. Um, so Paul and I met um, de- at the end of my first year of law school. Basically, I had a roommate in law school that I really did not get along very well with. And she was in medical school and she would get up bright and early for her rounds. Um, so she would always go to bed at like nine o'clock and I would basically take my contracts, uh, books and I would go to the Starbucks on the corner of Boylston and Tremont street in Boston. And I would basically sit in there until it closed. Um, Mm. so I could avoid her. So I was sitting in there and I had finished my contracts reading and I was zoning out. And I'm pretty sure this was like, I'm pretty, I was just thinking about this actually. Paul and I were talking about this. I think I had like a Blackberry world phone. Do you remember those Blackberry? Oh, fancy. Are the fancy ones? I think I had one of the fancy ones, but no, I, definitely... I had a razor. I was not a Blackberry girl. I was, you know, that razor where it made a nice little click where you like, oh. pop things out and then you had to text with, you know, only your thumbs. Not nearly <laughs> yeah. as cool as a Blackberry, but I was not, you know, it's kind of like an Apple versus a PC person. You had true, to pick a team. True. So you I had, did. you were on the fancy team. I was on the fancy team, um, and I think I was just like, I don't know, doing something. And I heard the guy, this, this guy sat down beside me, um, and he got a phone call, and he had an English accent, and me being a complete traditional weirdo American, um, as soon as he got off the phone, I just like turned to him while I'm sure I was twirling my hair, sounding like a complete <laughs> idiot, and said, are you from England? <laughs> and um, he just relived his whole like love actually dreams of like, yes, I am from England. Doesn't that make me automatically cool? Yeah, he kind of looked at me like I was nuts for speaking to him and then was kind of like, yes. And then I, I guess that is a cultural difference. It is because most English people will not speak to you unless they really have to. <laughs> so, and even and even in Boston, I would think that's probably not as 
common as, I mean, you went to undergrad in North Carolina, is that right? Yeah. So I went to UNC Chapel Hill and my family, my entire family is from Boone, North Carolina. Yeah, girl. So way right up, up, the, up mountains, the mountain from us. We're, I uh, come from um, a family of hillbillies. Um, best so, kind of people. <laughs> the best I kind have of found, by the way, that there are hillbillies in all manner of places. We just, there, we own it a bit more in the South. We totally own it. And I totally am very proud of where I'm from and my family. Um, but this is definitely something like we moved to New Hampshire when I was uh, 13. So that's some I, culture shock. Yeah. <laughs> let me tell that's you. some climate shock. Uh, yeah, there was climate and culture. Um, but I think that I've maintained a little bit of my Southern tendencies and that I will speak to people, even if I don't at all in London anymore, because if you've ever been to London, it's just like not done. You just don't talk to people. But I think it's a politeness thing. So in the South, we speak to and acknowledge people because that's the kind and welcoming and loving thing to do. And if it's not kind of welcoming and received that way in London, then I totally get why you wouldn't do it. You know, you're maintaining that warm, selfless focus. I like it. Exactly. Um, but anyway, so that's why I like spoke to him and then I wouldn't, I was talking his ear off basically for, I don't know, 45 minutes until the store closed. Um, and then he was there on a business trip actually. Um, so he, asked me if I wanted to go for a drink the next night. Um, and I thought, well, why not? Um, and so, and yeah. So was he, how old was he at this point? He was like a person with a job, like a real grown up. He was a real grown up. Um, he's a, quite a bit older than me. He's, we have a 16 year age difference. Um, although I thought he was actually younger than he ended up being when I first met him. I, how old was he? He was, um, I don't remember now. I'd have to do the math. I'll come back to you on that. So at that point, though, it must not have mattered a whole lot to you. No. And I mean, I was kind of casually dating like I was in law school. I had a long term boyfriend when I was an undergrad, but hadn't really met anybody I really liked in Boston. Um, so I had been seeing a couple of people just super casually. And well, I'm sure you didn't have a whole ton of time to you know, invest <laughs> no. in meaningful relationships. I was like trying to not flunk out of law school is what I was it's focused on. Priority number one. <laughs> priority number one. Um, so yeah, so we just started casually dating. And then he, I wouldn't even say we were really dating to start with because um, he had just come out of actually a previous marriage. Um, so he was going through quite a lot and obviously we lived in two different countries, which is quite difficult. Um, so we, and what was his work schedule? I mean, what brought him here and how often or how long was he in Boston? So, well, it actually worked out really well when we, the timing wise, um, he was, so Paul's an IT consultant, um, and he was working for a client who was based in Boston and he was there for a week. And I think I met him on, when did I have contracts? This is like throwing it back. I think it was like a Monday or something. So I saw him, I think almost every day that first week. Um, and then he obviously went back to the UK and then he was back and forth with the same, um, client for a few months. And then he was the entire sort of month the following month of October. And this was like the spring. So a few months later, he was actually in Boston for an entire month, which is when we like properly started actually dating. Um, so yeah, so it's so weird that now we're married with two children and living in England. Together. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. So you date throughout law school and yeah. try to kind of, I mean, go down the mental path of, okay, what could this be? Because one of us is going to have to make a pretty significant life change. Yes. And there were a few complications. Um, one being obviously that Paul when as I said, when we met was in the process of getting a divorce. Um, so during, right after we started dating, their divorce was finalized. And so he was having to deal with, you know, shared custody because he actually had a child from his first marriage. So that was quite um quite a difficult thing for him I think because it's always hard when you have a child like I can't even imagine now if we got divorced right. tomorrow having to navigate that and I've listened to a few of your other podcasts with a lady who dealt with that uh, a yeah. new baby and then got divorced it's a big so deal it's a big deal and 
you know, I, and I'm sure it was a big deal to you too, you know, dating someone who was from Boston with a child would be a big deal. Yeah. So it was, it was difficult to navigate and also like, um, you know, the, the distance was quite difficult. So we sort of decided pretty early on that we really liked each other and that it was pretty serious. And then, um, I also had to deal with the fact that I was going, paying a lot of money to go to law school in Boston. Um, and if we were going to, if I was not going to be living in Boston, I needed to take a hard look at sort of what my options were. Um, so I started traveling over a lot. I met his daughter. Um, we got along very well. How old was she at the time? Um, um, Elizabeth was nine when we first met. Um, and she is 19 now, which is crazy. Oh my Um, goodness. Yeah. So I think it was really, it was really, I'm sure difficult for her as well, but, um, I think we both handled it really well. I sort of took the approach that, you know, she already had a mother. She didn't need another mother. I was just, you know, there to support her and be a close friend or a mentor sort of in her life. Um, so, so that was that was interesting because, you know, because I didn't see her every day, it was just trying to remember to send cards and letters and emails and, and everything just so she knew that I was also thinking about her. And then uh, my second year of law school, we had sort of started being pretty serious. And I took, instead of doing a summer associate position in the U.S., I actually took a an internship with um a set of chambers, which people might not know what that is, but in the UK, you don't just have lawyers, you have solicitors and you have barristers. Right. And barristers are the ones that wear the wigs and go to court and they're advocates in court, um, which is what I thought I wanted to be. So I had a three month, uh, sort of a summer internship with a set of chambers. Um, and did you have to like try on the wigs, test drive them, special <laughs> order your size? <laughs> it's funny. I actually ask on like, I had gotten pretty comfortable with the uh, barrister I was sitting with at the time. And I think it was on week two that I finally broke down and said, can I please try on your wig? <laughs> your wig. I just need to see if this is in my future. Cause if it looks bad, we're not, we're not doing, there's some special hair considerations. Yeah. Like I've got a lot of hair and I don't yeah. really know how this is going to work. Um, it's going to determine my career path, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let me just tell you, it wasn't my best look. Um, mm. So, so I, you had I, to pivot. I did. I pivoted and I, and I didn't actually know at the time that it was the hair thing that caused it, but I was like, you know what? <laughs> we're, we're realizing all kinds of major <laughs> things here. <laughs> we're just having some life realizations. Yes. Um, I just decided it, you know what? This barrister life isn't for me, but obviously the guy is for me. So um, we ended up getting engaged that right after there, actually it was gosh, uh, Christmas. Um, I visited at Christmas and we went to Paris and we cheesily got engaged. That's pretty magical. It was New Year's Eve, actually. Um, I love Aww. how I, we've been married so long. I'm like, I don't even remember. Yes. Welcome to the, welcome <laughs> to your thirties. Well, welcome to the mid thirties. Like at some, at some point, I don't know. Details <laughs> um, changed my life. Yeah. I mean, it was great. It was amazing. I don't even remember what happened. Um, <laughs> it was so amazing. I couldn't tell you about it. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, so we got engaged and. You know, I, it just felt right. So I said yes. And then it dawned on me that, hello, Melissa, this man is an actual adult man with a real life job and a child. So I think you're going to have to come to him. So I did. Then you finished just, law school. I finished law school. Yeah. So we got married uh, the spring break before I graduated, um, just because logistically we knew I was going to need to have a visa right. to enter the country, obviously, as his wife. So that takes some time. So for me to be able to come after I graduated, we got married in in March and then kicked off the sort of visa process. So I had my spousal visa by the time I graduated. Um, And then I went to my best friend's wedding, was a bridesmaid, and then got on a plane the day after her wedding um, and flew all my belongings and myself to the UK to live forever and had an absolute meltdown at the Virgin Gate. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the day I was leaving, uh, not because I was sad to be leaving the U.S., which I was very sad to be leaving, but because I had paid like through the nose to check two additional bags. <laughs> and then I had and I had my long champ bag with my my bar prep books in it. And 
they charged me an additional hundred dollars because they said my bag was over the weight limit, even though it fit into the little. Oh, for the love! Um, I could buy and a new so bag. I had an absolute screaming meltdown. It was like, it was mm-hmm. really that not a pretty fight. And it was maybe not entirely about the fee. I don't, I don't know that it was about the fee. <laughs> I think, yeah. I think there happening. was a lot going on. Yeah. So moved myself here, flew back. Uh, that was in June, flew back in August to take the bar exam, took it, passed it, moved back here and have just been here since really. And how does that work as an attorney? So does that make you a solicitor? Um. So I actually, it's really interesting the way that it works here. So I'm not technically a solicitor. Um, I'm allowed to practice in the UK um, as long as you have, if you're like US qualified, you're allowed to practice obviously US law um, or you can practice uh, as, you know, doing UK stuff as long as you have, like there are parameters that are met, like you have to have a partner that's sort of overseeing your work. Um, So it works with large law firms. It's Mm -hmm. not as easy if you're like, let's say, a divorce lawyer, you can't really just come here and work. It's you a can't bit just more go difficult. into solo practice or something. No, no. Yeah. Um, so I didn't even know where to begin with um, finding a job as a lawyer here. So that's a whole nother story. But I eventually landed at a, a very large law firm. I was doing um, very boring product regulation law for a very large tobacco manufacturer for mm. the most part. My North Carolina roots coming I was gonna say, in strong. Do they, do they manufacture <laughs> tobacco in England? Get it. Uh, they do not, but you know, everywhere has tobacco. So everybody everybody needs a lawyer. Um, so I did that for, gosh, like five years. And, you know, it just wasn't for me. So pivot, I did another pivot and sort of went in-house um, to my law firm at the time um, and, and sort of became an advisor to the partnership and the partners on new business regulations, things of that nature. In terms um, of international things? Uh, yeah, both international and, and domestic. Um, so making sure that the lawyers are all following the right rules, that the matters are being opened appropriately, et cetera, et cetera. It's so boring. Um, and then I just changed. I went to a different but also humongously large law firm, um, which has been the best move ever. I love it. I love my team. I love my job. It's stressful, um, but I, I'm really glad to be. And again, this is falling under that. I don't know. I was. I would never have expected this is what I would be doing. I thought I was gonna. When you go to law school, I feel like you feel like you're gonna be some crusader for children in or, front of the Supreme Court every exactly, week. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but I really like what I do, and um, it's really interesting. And I get questions every day that I can't answer, which I feel like is a good thing because then it keeps you on your toes. Yeah. So yeah. And then that's where, that's where we are. You in this time had two babies relatively close together. I did. And that was maybe the hardest year of my life. How so long had, had you our, been married? We had been married for, let's see, about three years, just about two and a half years when um, we had Archer. And then Blythe came <laughs> just over 14 months later. Wow. Um, yeah. So that was. It's a wild ride. That was. That was a that was the biggest shock of my life when I found out I was pregnant with life. Did um, your hands go numb for a while? That happened to me one time, and <laughs> my body was like physically trying to give me some white flag sign of like, "Whoa, Nellie, this is a lot. You need to have a seat." Yeah, I I literally had no words, and I am a very chatty person. And the fact that I had no words for a solid I don't know probably an hour after I found out, I was just <laughs> like, staring at a wall. What is happening? And I think Paul was on a business trip, but I didn't want to alarm him. So I didn't want to tell him. Call so I didn't me know ASAP. How, <laughs> yeah. So I didn't know how he, how he would react, but he was getting home like that night. So I decided to just hold off. I was like, let's just, let's just hold off on this. Let's calm down. Everybody calm down. By everybody, I Those mean myself. Those pep talks you give yourself. <laughs> Melissa, calm down. Rally the troops. Yeah. Um, and then... I, I decided I was just gonna just gonna throw it on him. So he walked in the door and was like, "Hello," and co- comes in for a hug. And I'm like, "So I'm pregnant." And he's like, <laughs> "What?" <laughs> I 
Um, and I think he was, I think it, it helped because he was super, super, super excited, even though he could Aww. tell on my face. I was just terrified. Processing. Yes. It's a lot of mm. information. It's a big change and it's the unknown. It's the great unknown. It's the great unknown. And, you know, I feel like I was just barely getting to grips with what to do with one baby, much, much less because having another baby. Because he was probably, baby. what, five months, six months old? Yeah, he was about five. I think it was about five when I found out. And what was super awkward, too, is I had just literally just gone back to work. Right. Um, and you're like, man, and- how am I going to tell my employer FYI I'm going to be <laughs> yeah. gone again for 12 weeks? Well, how? that's yeah, a great well- question. How does maternity leave work there? Uh, I feel like I shouldn't, I shouldn't talk about this because well, we can't punch every, you because you're too far every, away. Everybody's so. going to be everyone. I, I know how bad it is in the United States and people here complain about it not being as great as like, let's say Finland or Norway and or you're Sweden. Like, Do you want to call my friends in the yeah. South? Cause exactly. I can give you some examples. So I was really, really fortunate um, because I had both Archer and Blythe when I was working at the other very large law firm. Um, And they had an amazing, amazing maternity policy. So basically, if you agreed that you were going to go back into your role, or if not your role, um, an equivalent role at the firm, you could take up to a year plus your holiday. So you can accrue all uh, no, so of, they're of holding the year, your spot at this point. Yeah. So legally, I, sh- I should back up. Legally, in the UK, you're entitled. Every woman is entitled to take a year. Um, not all of that is paid, um, but stuff. But you will have a job. Year. You will have a job. They cannot get rid of your job. Wow. That is your job. So you can take wow. a year. Um, at my firm, we, they had a sort of an enhanced package. So if I recall correctly, I got six months of full pay. I had an additional three months of half pay and then the remainder, if I had stayed out, would have been unpaid. Yeah. So I know. just for I'm really sorry. And by the way, this is still like, I was in a white collar, you know, job with benefits, like a very fortunate position to be in relative to what people have to go through or in, you know, hourly work. Um, I was in a company that would probably have been considered pretty progressive and I can't, <laughs> I um, took my maternity leave, which none of it was paid, but we did have um, disability insurance, which covered like four weeks at maybe 60% pay. So, I mean, you're looking at like a paycheck and a half or something. You're you're not going on oh, any great goodness. vacations. But I took the full 12 weeks. And I um, but just, you know, you like eat, you bite the bullet, you do it. You, um, I thought for sure when I was pregnant, because I knew nothing. <laughs> that I would come back at like six or eight weeks, just raring to go. And I oh I looked goodness. at him when he was born and was like, yeah, no, there's not one adult that I would like to see more than I would like to see this tiny baby. So I'm going to stay out as long as I can. I cried the entire last month of my maternity leave, I, which was December. I went back on December 28th. So I cried oh through Christmas And I came back and shortly after I returned, HR sent a company-wide email. We were owned by a pretty big company out of Boston and said, hey guys, great news. We now have a new policy that you will get two weeks paid paternity leave, fully paid for any dad whose family is either having a child biologically or adopting. And it was an open workspace environment as most creative places are. And you Mm. could hear a mass of women standing up and flocking to the front of this building because women got zero paid weeks. So like this paternity leave, that's super awesome. That's so great. Also, um, what? (laughs) You're not going to pay the people who push the baby out or, you know, are doing all of the skin. Yeah. So needless to say, that was rectified in like T minus 20 seconds. HR was like, okay, easy easy ladies, we're going to figure this out. Don't worry. So folks who came behind had minimally more, you know, two weeks paid leave. You save your vacation time and do all the things, but, um, yeah, it's tricky. And the whole like sick leave should really be used for your sick days, not your child's sick days. And yeah, and that's a hot disaster. Your kids, I mean, Mac was four months old in February. It's like cold and fluville. Obviously, it's yeah. not me who's sick. Yeah, and I mean, I, that's another thing. Like, I think I was uh, lucky there and lucky at my new firm because, like, my new firm has 
obviously we have in, in the UK, we have a lot more holiday to take. We don't have personal days, but you just have a lot more holiday so you can take holiday. But also our, I just feel so lucky because our firm allows, I think it's like 12 weeks a year that you can take of unpaid um, care or leave. So if you have a child under the age of 18, you can take up to 12 weeks of unpaid leave for whatever reason every single year. Right. Um, That's incredible. Which is just, it's just amazing. Is so, it really like that culturally to- though? Because I know some men, a few men I know who work in finance, for example, at these big banks, and they are told here four months of paid paternity leave. And you think you'd be insane not to take this, but they feel like that's an official policy. And maybe the undercurrent is, I mean, you can leave, but like you're missing your bonuses. You're putting all this on your coworkers. It's not great. It's really interesting because in the UK, they brought in, they herald this new program for shared parental leave. Um, and I, I don't, I didn't really look into it very much because obviously I was past We're we're not having any more babies. There are no more <laughs> to be babies clear. coming to be clear. There are no more babies. So I'm sort of behind on the, on the policies, but um, it basically allows men and women to share the, the, like I said before, you get a year um, statutorily that you're allowed to take. So it allows men and women to share that however they want to share it. Now, whether the men get paid or not is um, sort of an employer by employer decision that I think they get statutorily, they get a set minimum amount for a certain period of time, much like women do as well, but I can't remember the breakdown, but they were encouraging men um, to sort of take, take that up because I think the, the idea is, is that it's great that they've, they've making these strides and, and you can, you know, share the, the leave for the first year if you need to half and half, if you wanted to. Um, but it's no good if nobody's doing it. Right. Sorry, I know that. If it's just theoretical, what's the point? Exactly. And so my best friend um, from my old firm, she's um, a lawyer as well. And her husband is at a different big law firm. We're all big, <laughs> big law firm people. Um, but he was the first person in the firm to take it. And he took, I want to say he took three or four months. Good job, um, man. Good job. Of, of the year. And she went back to work. Um, and so he just said that they didn't even know what to do with him when he said he was going to take it. Like we didn't really mean that my friend. (laughs) Yeah. They were like, well, we, we didn't expect anyone to take us up on this. Well, surprise. Um, but he said that he got lots and lots of questions from other men about like, aren't you concerned about this? And, and he, you know, sort of blazing a trail single-handedly. So cool. Which by the way, every mom on the block is like a super fan of that dad now. So yeah, seriously. take notes, gentlemen, there is, and I've never met a person in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s who said, you know what I really regret? Uh, spending time with my newborn. Like that was a colossal waste of time. Should never have done I know. That. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, Paul took, Paul got two weeks with both um, Archer and Blythe. And I thought that was amazing. <laughs> I was like, two whole weeks. <laughs> this is awesome. That's well, I mean, and at that point, really, you're both so delirious and sleep deprived. Like for some men I know and women going back to work is a relief. Like, okay, look, Mm. I get to go to the bathroom. I get to be off duty. I can just be myself for a minute. But um, yeah, there were there were times where I remember thinking, I mean, I would trade spots. I had one official maternity leave. And then for my next three, because I've given birth to 100 children, um, I was self-employed. So there really was no maternity leave, I mean, which is kind of on me, I guess. But, you know, there's just really no way to, to structure that in, in what I do. So especially for the baby who came six weeks early, I was oh like, hey, guys, I'm not going to be in that call this afternoon because I'm in a hospital bed. <laughs> Oh, that must have been really stressful. Uh, it, I think I was just in, like, you go into that place where you're eerily, otherworldly calm. Like, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, I'll freak out about, you know, not finding my keys or something. But now yeah. a child is coming into the world significantly early, and I'm like, yeah, it's going to be fine. It'll be great. Hey, guys. I mean, I made a phone call. Like, I, I think they were pretty floored. that I was like, hey, guys, just wanted to talk and let you know I won't be there. Yeah, I'm in labor. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> You're like, no, no big. And no, nobody panic. Everything's going to be fine. I'll call you in like two max. I would think I'll be able to give you a call during business hours. Please 
girlfriend? Have they given you all the drugs or something? Because you are not making any sense. But all of that to say, I'm sure that there is some cultural shock. I have a friend here in Greenville who grew up, she and her husband both grew up in Canada and their timing of moving to America before they had babies was probably not the most fiscally sound because she was like, I don't even understand. We're getting all of these bills. Like I get a separate bill for the epidural and then a 17 different bills for the three days we were there. And I don't like, I don't understand if we had just waited a minute, these babies would be free. I don't get it. I was like, welcome to America. Sorry about that. Um, I have to say the NHS is the actual best. Big, big, big fan. I mean, no bills. I was born in England, and my parents still talk about um, another time, you know, if if you were born there. So I was a dual citizen when I was born. And, um, and I've talked about this before because I believed for a long time until about, you know, a week ago that I could never be president because of that, <laughs> um, which was deeply upsetting to me at six and affects me not in the least today. But I I know my parents always talked about how it was crazy, like nappy service came and they brought like milk. I couldn't drink milk, like cow's milk, but they brought it for my mom because ostensibly she was nursing and there were, you know, a midwife would come and check on them, even though they were under private insurance, like, you know, sad little Americans. And my mom was like, it was actually really yeah. nice. You know, she had no family there. And no, I came as well. I came early because I'm also a thoughtless baby. And um, you know, she was like, my mom had already booked her flight and it was the 80s. And it wasn't like you just got online and flipped things around. So it was a real comfort to know some other human female is going to come <laughs> check on me. It's going to be great and make sure I'm okay. Mm. So did you have that experience too? Did people pop in and see you and the baby? Was this call the midwife come to life? It was. So I, this is me being, I shouldn't admit this, but I was very concerned about having a midwife. I was like, it's not a doctor. Like I need a doctor. Like I need an obstetrician. They're like, you need to calm down. People have been Um, having babies for all the years. They're like, pretty sure everybody else in this country is fine with the midwife. <laughs> um, so I had we had a community midwife. Um, so at our doctor's surgery, as they say, slash doctor's office, as we would say in America, um, we had the community midwife. And I went to her because my house was literally two doors down from the doctor's surgery for um, my appointment. But she offered and she did go to other women's houses so they did home visits as well so if you prefer a home visit you get a home visit um but then when we had archer i had him um i had a ridiculously fast labor i i like to joke about how i'm like super efficient bang out two babies in less than two years and i'm really good with labor because neither neither of them took more than I think it was like 12 hours. I feel like that's another thing you should not tell people. Also, if they slept through the night really early, you're not winning any friends. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. They never slept through the night. I mean, even now Blythe was up last night. Like, okay. So so you've paid, you've paid more than the price. I've, I've paid my price. Um, but so I had, we basically got to the hospital and then I had a baby like, I don't know, 20 minutes later. I'm exaggerating. I think it was like an hour, but still it felt like about 20 minutes later. Um, and everybody had talked to me about how they always bring in tea and toast. So like I went to this, um, sort of parentless, like birthing slash parenting class called through the national childhood trust. I think it's called here, the NCT. And, um, they just kept talking about the tea and the toast. And I was like, what are they going on about? And sure enough, pop Archer out. And they're like, so you're going to need some stitches. And I'm like, great. Two seconds later, a midwife walks in, checks on the baby, obviously, then comes up to me with literally a plate of white (laughs) buttered toast and, and, um, a cup of nice, strong, milky, sweet tea, because she knew she'd asked me before, like, right when I got there, she's like, how do you like your tea? Mostly like, I milk. Like it sweet and, <laughs> and milky. Same. So they call that a, a builder's tea. So I'm like milky and sweet, like a builder's tea. So she, yeah, she like, she has her order. she's like, here's some toast. And I swear to you, it was like the best toast. I really think you can give me anything right after I have a baby and I'm going to be like, this is amazing. This is what I want for my last meal <laughs> yeah. on earth. Exactly. So like as soon, so tea and toast, amazing. Um, here, if you have a baby at a public hospital, so on the NHS, they're, they're pretty in and out. Like unless you have a reason to be there, 
They're like, get you on out. <laughs> Thanks Go for your on time. home now. So I think, exactly. So I think I gave birth at something like 9 p.m. on, I think it was the Sunday night. And then I was out by like two o'clock hmm. on Monday on the way home. And, um, we got home and I had, I think it was three home visits from midwives. So like, uh, Archer was small cause I only make small babies. It's just like, it's what I do. <laughs> but um, you're efficient about it. Pop them yeah. out quick. I'm very efficient. They come out quick, but they are all small. So very small. And he had a bit of jaundice and, um, quite a severe tongue tie. So we had a few extra visits, but yeah, they would come to your house. They just like come on in, hold your baby, check your baby, check you. You don't have to get dressed. You don't have to get fancy, nothing. And then if you're really struggling, they can arrange for more people to come and see you. So if you've got any sort of postpartum depression happening or anything else, they can, they, they come to you. They don't expect you to go all over creation. Which is for glorious. Which because is really sometimes nice. just loading up your diaper bag with that first child. I mean, you're packing for a four day week mm. and it's obscene. It's oh, out oh of control. Yes. Now I was putting May's things in her preschool bag. I mean, granted she is three, but even a year ago, like with the fourth child, I mean, I would grab one diaper, um, perhaps a passy that I would leave unprotected in the bottom of my terribly dirty purse and like some kind of a carbohydrate snack. And we would just wing it, call it a day. But the first one, I mean, it was all of baby's RS shoved in like a Mary Poppins bag that was 10 feet deep. There was no, <laughs> yeah. it took hours to prepare to leave the house. And by the time we left, it was time to feed him again. So, you know, it was a struggle. Yeah. So what would you say in having babies, uh, going back to work, being an American, obviously <laughs> I heard this phrase a few weeks ago and I think it's, I think it's fantastic. I think I read it years ago in a book as well, but that, um, you can have, a cat could have kittens in an oven and we wouldn't call them biscuits, which by the way is perhaps the most Southern expression. I feel like Dr. Phil would say that, <laughs> but the idea being <laughs> just because like someone not from South Carolina moves here and has babies here, doesn't make them natural Southerners. Like they're still, you're from wherever you're from. So you individually yeah. are, are never going to pass for someone who's a native UK citizen. Your children on the other hand no. are born and bred. I mean, they are indoctrinated, dyed in the wool, zebras. They are. They are zebras. Um, it's interesting because, like, I, I think I mentioned this earlier, but all my American friends think I sound English now. Um, it's true. And, and we were talking about this Every earlier. time I say that. you It's not just the accent. It's not that you're like Madonna. It's the cadence of what you're saying. You still sound like yourself, but just a yeah. very, there's something about this lilting. You, there's British people go up, you know, do you need some more juice? Do you need, do, should you like a little snack? Exactly. And no one here. I'm like, y'all, are you hungry? Y'all want something to eat? <laughs> it's not the same. Yes, exactly. And um, I find it's really bad when I'm speaking mm -hmm. to them. I, I start mirroring back how they speak to me. Um, and I've also noticed I've started enunciating T's. Like in the U.S., we would right. say butter, like as if right. it's two D's, mm -hmm. like butter. Um, maybe that's just my Southern family coming through where I'm like, everybody says no, butter. for sure. Like my grandfather used to say far, right. like fire, except he would say I don't far. think my mom <laughs> has ever pronounced the third R in mirror, ever. It's a mirror. No. It's a mirror. Have you looked in the it's mirror? It's a mirror. Yeah. yeah. It's a tricky thing. You don't even yeah, know you're exactly. doing it. Exactly. So I think it's changed a little Do bit. Do you say but, butter? Um, I, I, I find myself saying butter. Right. I can't do it now. I say much, butter yeah. still. But yeah, I'm thinking too much about it right now, but I, I do find myself enunciating things that I wouldn't normally enunciate. So I do worry about that though, because I, I quite like being American. Like I, I'm quite proud. Which by the way is another expression, be. like in no world when you were at UNC, would you have said, I quite, I quite like being here. I'm quite proud of it. It's just, <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly. a na like a native expression. You'd be like, I'm tickled. I'm just, I'm just, tickled. I do say I'm tickled still. <laughs> I said I was tickled at work one day, and my my um, paralegal who was in my office was like, "I'm, I'm sorry, you're what?" And I was That's like, "What I am?" Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Oh, that tickles me." And she's like, "What do you mean that tickles you?" Well, like, I was like, strange, oh, never mind. She strange don't, don't little understand. human. And I mean, you'll you'll never pass for a native. 
citizen, but what would you say have been the biggest stumbling blocks of little things? Because I think about Meghan Markle, obviously even Kate Middleton had to go through princess training when she was Kate Middleton to be like, okay, these are how we refer to people of these different ranks and titles from all of these different nations. And this is what we do for this person and that person. But Megan probably had to get all of that. Plus stop saying garbage can stop saying, you know, Mm. the trunk of the car or the elevator or whatever. What is your biggest stumbling Um, block that says, Hey, by the way, I'm American, but you probably already knew that. Um, well, obviously my accent, <laughs> um, but also it's, it's like small things. So, um, obviously I work in a very well-educated office and so I'll say something about like, oh, when I went to college, college, I mean, UNC Chapel Hill, like a university, right, a, pr- a pretty well-known and, and um, prestigious university. <laughs> yeah. And people here will think, I mean, college as in like an associate's degree or like a technical school associate degree or a technical college or um college is what happens when they're taking their a-levels before they go to university uh, so, so like wait how it's very are you confusing what yeah they're like did you who are you what are I'm you doing? terribly uneducated um, don't worry about me just give me my paycheck and i'll go home yeah so i think that's been a stumbling block also um British people, especially in London, in and around London, are not uh, the easiest to Mm. befriend. I think it's really, it's really hard to befriend people here. Whereas, like, you know, especially in the South, you meet somebody once and you're like, so, do you want (laughs) to come over for dinner tonight or tomorrow night? Do you want to have snacks Mm -hmm. beforehand? Um, Do you want to be my best friend? Where can we go? Do you want to go see a movie? Do you want to go do this? Even if I don't Friends love you, I'm still going to bring you food when you move to the neighborhood. Like, this is just a thing I'm going to do. Exactly. Exactly. And then here, you'll see somebody like 45 times, and maybe by the 50th time, they'll be like, do you fancy getting a cup of tea or something like that? And and it's just, it's just completely different. Um, and I found it very difficult to not take that personally because it's just how most people are here um that it just takes a while like nobody wants to be your best friend right now at this very moment whereas i'm like hi let me tell you my whole life story can we do yeah like can we go do everything together from now to the end of time let's get makeovers and then tell me the hardest moment of your life that we're gonna cry together through a movie and um, now we're bonded. Yep. <laughs> so what, yeah. was there ever a moment where you thought, oh boy, that I've bitten off more than I can chew? There've been a few. Um, I think it was really crystallized when I had Archer. Um, it was just a lot. It was like, I didn't have any family clear, close by. Paul's parents live in the North of England. So outside of Manchester, which That's where is I was born for, yeah, this that's about five, four or five yeah. hours from here. Um, and obviously my mother lives in New Hampshire, so that's not particularly helpful. And the rest of my family lives in the South of America, right. so also not helpful. Um, so I think it was like right after I had a child, I was just like, what is going on? But do you know what? I really love it here and I can't even imagine living in the United States again. Um, even though I really, I really miss things. So like every year, every fall, um, I really miss living in new England. Like I know I'm from the South, but I, I loved living in new England in the fall. Cause you have the a trees, real fall the apple in, picking. in new England. Yes. And all of that fun stuff that nobody does here and you don't really have here at all. Um, and Halloween's getting bigger here, but also that was another thing that I was like, after I had Archer, I remember I got all these, candy stuff and it was the first year after we'd had him um and he was like toddling around in his little cat costume that my friend helen sent um because i used to have a white persian cat so he basically looked like the cat um and i got all this candy it was all ready and we had all of like two trick-or-treaters and i was like what what have i done (laughs) we can't even go trick-or-treating but actually we've moved to a new neighborhood and it's blown up here and it's really big so got that covered at least. Um, and how often do you get back to America? Not nearly as often as I want to. Um, it's actually unfortunate because the two flights that I would need to take either into Boston or into Charlotte are 
pretty expensive. I mean, Boston's much more doable, um, but for some reason, flights into Charlotte are just always astronomical mm. from London. Um, and I'm not really sure why that is. So we've been trying to go back about every other year. Um, so my mother is coming this year. Um, she's coming actually oh, tomorrow, yay. literally tomorrow. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> yay. And yay, how long on. will she be there? Um, she's just for a week, she's bringing me duck and yes. donuts coffee. These are, these are my, these are my all, my always ask. I always ask for duck and donuts coffee. I always ask for Fritos. Don't come at me. Look, you They're gotta delicious. do what you gotta do. Uh, mm-hmm. Cheez-Its. And my last, uh, always, always request for Blythe is goldfish. Do they not have goldfish? What kind of sad childhoods are these English children living? We do not have gold. You can get goldfish at like little um, shops in London, but they're astronomically expensive. And so mom buys those humongous boxes that come with I three bags, and, like packs a suitcase of food. Um, but so she's coming. But I think we're going to try to all go back in the spring. We have a two a two week break here at Easter. Uh, the schools do. So I think we're going to oh, do nice. two weeks and try to do a week in New England and a week in the South. But um my kids are not going to know what is up when we get to the South. They're not even going to be able to understand people. (laughs) (laughs) I just remember I took Paul the first time he ever went to North Carolina and we were driving obviously from Charlotte up to Boone. And I think we stopped in West Jefferson at this tiny little gas station and we got out and he says something to me and this little lady's like, honey, are you, where are you (laughs) from? And I was just like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to do about this. This is so funny. And he looked at me and he's like, did she just call me honey? And I was like, yes, she did. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be really nice for them to get back. I mean, I want them to know the, the true Southern like experiences. Like I want them to refer to people as sir and ma'am and, and eat a biscuit and, and know about waffle fries, you know, manners, waffle fries and, I mean, they're far, far, far too young for a cheer wine, but eventually one day I'm going to introduce them to a cheer wine and a Bojangles, mm, like Bojangles, they need a Bojangles. Yes. It's a magical thing. Well, there will be all kinds of fattening treats that they can have as they age when they come home. <laughs> well, they yes. might, their bodies might reject it, but that's okay. Uh, we will still indoctrinate <laughs> yeah. them in our ways. And, um, so what, uh, what would you want people to know, or what would you have wanted to tell yourself, you know, 10 years ago when you met Paul and thought, yeah, I could give up everything and move abroad and have little dual nationality babies and start fresh and build a whole new life. Um, I would probably say to myself, um, to have more faith in me. <laughs> I, um, I think that, you know, a lot of people really struggle with change because not because they are scared of the situation, but because they're not sure how they themselves are going to handle it. Um, and yeah, I think I would just tell myself to, to have some faith and to just always try to remain calm because I do, I do have the tendency to catastrophize, uh, quite, quite a lot. Um, so I tell myself also just, you know, remain calm. Everything will be fine. It's a great life strategy in general, by the way, like that is, I think that was one of the biggest lessons that Bradley had to learn. I'm telling a whole lot about myself to strangers on the internet now who will hear this, but when I'm in true freak out mode, like something happens in an instant, I speak to myself like aloud, which is probably <laughs> As not do I, yes. <laughs> and I talk to myself with the same like calm cadence that I would a child. And I'm just like, it's okay. You are fine. It's going to be okay. We will find it. It is going to be okay. It would just over and over. I don't need you to interject. Actually, please don't. I'm on a roll. I'm calming myself. <laughs> please don't jump in yeah. here. Just let myself me have a moment. Myself and myself have got this. Um, and I think when we first got married and I had my first meltdown, I was like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be okay, Anne. It's going to be good. It's all right. Everything's fine. He was probably truly petrified. But in general, that is a great <laughs> thing to tell yourself a decade ago, whether you move abroad or not. It's going to be okay. Yeah. Everything is going to shake yeah, out. Yeah, and I think just uh, and I and I and I also probably would have told myself like, you don't know how good English sausages are, <laughs> so here I'm going to need you to it's just an even trade for calm down about fry. them as well. So, oh my goodness, 
Everybody talks about how British food's bad, but it's actually, it's so good. It's too good See, sometimes. I think it's just a different palate. And your children are probably it's just slightly. I different. was speaking to um, Mary Craig Hart last night for uh, about transracial and international adoption. She's someone I met in quotation marks about the same time I did you through the power of social media, and they adopted their son from Uganda. And she said, you know, he was just under two when they brought him home to Tennessee. But she said, you know, I cooked for just hours and hours. Our whole house smelled like the spices of East Africa. And I was so excited. And all of my family loved it except him. And I was like, I don't, oh, I don't understand. No. Like, is your little palate not acclimated to have I done something wrong? But I do think there's something to your little taste buds being finely attuned the way that maize are attuned to Cheerios as just a yeah, thing well, that we mainline. It's true. And let me tell you, every time I make mashed mm. potatoes and Archer's like, I don't like mashed Ow. potatoes. And I'm like, you literally just ate mashed potatoes two <laughs> days ago at your so preschool. Good. And they said you ate two lots of them and loved them. What also mashed potatoes are. You can actually gauge my mental health if you were to just be like, hey, Ann, how's it going? How often in the last two weeks have you made mashed potatoes? Um, and <laughs> I mean, like, I thought that was a universal thing that all children uh, love. Not mine. It turns out that's a big They're lie. They're like hard pass, and I'm like, more for me. <laughs> Great. <laughs> bye bye me. I will eat it. It's two thirds butter and sour cream. I'm basically Paula Dean when it comes to the mashed potatoes, which is neither here nor there. But yes, all of that to say, every kid should like mashed potatoes. If not, I got no time for yep. you. Well, I am so glad to have had the chance to talk to you and hear about what it's like to pivot. A few extra times and see what's on the other side of the ocean and the career change and all the things. It's a lot. Thank you so much for speaking to me. And I'm thankful that you were brave and vulnerable. I think a lot of people are starting to freak out on me. (laughs) Like, no, I don't have a story. And everyone has a story, 100%. And my life is so boring that I could in no way hold up for an hour-long interview on my own podcast, which is why I haven't had to yet. I get to talk to all of you suckers. <laughs> uh, you're you're probably going to come back later and be like, so I'm going to need you to not be so weird. Yeah, exactly. We're going to need to re-record half uh, of this. No, false, false and false. I think people are really just interested in an inside look at, you know, the little slivers we put out into the world. So where can folks find you? Who, by the way, is your initials on my calendar were MVB podcast. And my husband wrote, underneath it because he had kept having to ask me who is mvb who is mvb he wrote england girl (laughs) Girl. where can people find Um, england girl in the world if they would like to chat yeah so i'm on instagram at um this is a you know really great mvb and um easy enough can't forget it's really sort of explanatory there it's a true story (laughs) Um, I don't really use Twitter anymore and I've stopped blogging. Um, I think we all have the way to get me. I think we really, unless, you know, people are monetizing it with six digit followings. Um, you know, we've all, we're micro blogging with the magic of Instagram. I miss the day. I miss the days of like a a full on dump of what you've done with pictures um, and it helps me that, remember, ain't, ain't nobody like, got time. There's so many more details now because I can go back and read it and relive it. But I know I wish more, I sort of wish it would take a turn and go back. I'm sick of the, buy this, buy swipe this, up buy this. to buy my child. Like, nobody, no, nobody needs this. I know some days I'd you like know, that feature. Those pigtails uh, are for sale. Having a meltdown. Like, <laughs> anyone in the market? They're so anyone, cute. I'll give you a discount code, free shipping. I'd be great if you could get Mei Mei to let Blythe uh, wear some pigtails because homegirl is like not having anything other than one braid or maybe one pony braid, as she calls it. <laughs> never, never a pony, never a pigtail. Not even if you call it doggy ears. We, um, she calls a pig, a ponytail a bun. So she's wearing a oh, yeah. bun and she'll get very angry if you correct her. She doesn't have enough hair for an actual bun and she really doesn't have enough hair. She still has sweet little fine baby hair. So the pigtails are kind of, <laughs> Blythe also it's, took, it's a necessity. We can do nothing else. Blythe took forever and a day to get some hair. And even now she's got basically a long yes. mullet. It's so That's long. How we're rolling. And she's just, and the pigtails help a lot. They meet the me up. And when I look at pictures, you know, Mary Brooks and May are four years and one day apart. 
when I look at pictures of Mary Brooks at the same age, she has a full head of hair down to her collarbones and therefore she looks two or three <laughs> years older. So I'm actually quite comfortable with the baby hair because she is my baby. Mm. So we'll take it as long as we can get it. If we could get less tantrums, we would also opt for that. But you know what? We're taking what we can get. Thoughts and prayers, my friend. God's and prayers. And, and light and best wishes <laughs> to you. Well, it's good to know that some things about parenting, like hair troubles, are universal. But um, thank you so much for your time. And I hope that people can find you and keep along with your, um, I wouldn't even say little adventure because it's just your life. It's just my life, my boring life. But yeah, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. That's it for today's But Not All at Once. Thanks so much for joining us, y'all. I hope you'll subscribe because we have a lot to talk about this season and I don't want you to miss a single story. If you love what we're doing, would you consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts? It would mean the world, like more than a porch drop of a large Chick-fil-A sweet tea with pellet ice. It's a big deal. Come join the conversation at But Not All at Once on Instagram or email me directly at butnotallatonce at gmail.com. As always, I'm Ann Smith, and I'll see you right here next week. Bye, guys.